Boom. We are live. Here we are. We're live, recording, and ready for episode four of the Kivu podcast. We're calling it episode four. You can catch all these podcasts on Google Plus, Kivu Podcast, on iTunes, Kivu Podcast, and on SoundCloud, Kivu Podcast. Search that in all three and you will find us. Uh, Whichever way you want to catch us, whether it's video on Google Plus or audio on SoundCloud or iTunes, we appreciate you listening. Now, Cole, we were talking off air a little bit about basketball, as we normally do in regular life. And you asked me what I did this weekend. And so I'm going to start talking about what would be dream scenario for high school. It would be going to a place that plays basketball nonstop and is in a beautiful location. Am I right? Amen. Maybe so, in the Philippines. Maybe true. <laughs> if it was in the Philippines, that would be even better. Or like in Hawaii or somewhere where it's hot outside. Yeah. So I coach a JV girls team here in Germany. And this weekend had the chance to assistant coach the varsity. And uh, we were playing a team in outside of Bonn, which is south of Cologne. And Bonn is the former former capital of what was called West Germany uh, a long time ago. And there's a very heavily American influence still in Bonn. Like they have a Little League Baseball League, which is kind of weird for Germany. Um, they also have a professional basketball team in Bonn called Telecom Baskets. And in this tiny town outside of Bonn, <clears throat> they have a second league team called the Dragons, the Ronsdorf Dragons. The Dragons are the top version, so the men's team, of what the Germans call a Verein, which is a club. And your Verein's got a men's team, which is your professional team or your highest level. Then you've got a U18 team, a U16 team, a U14 team, all the way down to like some teams literally have like a U12 or a U8. So little kids playing basketball or soccer, whichever sport. And they all feed into each other. They're all feeder programs. So uh, we go coach at this school outside of Bonn and we pull in and it looks like a castle. And a matter of fact, it is an old castle. And they've converted this old castle into a boarding school and high school for, uh, for kids. But not just any kind of boarding school. It is a basketball academy. So these kids pay money to live on this campus year-round and just hoop nonstop. And they've sent three or four guys to the NBA out of this high school, which is a ton. Germany is not a super heavily populated country compared to the U.S., and basketball is still the second or third most popular sport within the country. So to have a school that focuses primarily on basketball is super odd. And then to have it in the middle of the woods up in the mountains in a castle is even more bizarre. That's, the, I think that's the part that got me is like it's in a castle. It's in an old castle. And you pull in this old castle and you walk around. There's like basketball hoops on the outside of these old brick buildings. And then there's like you go down, there's a tennis court. And on the tennis court are like seven basketball hoops, like an outdoor gym that I guess they can practice on when it's nice outside. Then they have two full-size regular indoor gyms on campus. And then in the middle of downtown in the city, down the hill, they've got like a 
big facility where they actually play like professional games. But we go coach on the, against this team, and the team we played against was pretty good. But the varsity, my varsity coach was like, "Yeah, this is not their best team." I go, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "Well, this is their U nineteen girls team, but they've got a but the best girls in the U nineteen wouldn't be playing in this. They'd be playing on the women's team, and their women's team." is a, a, a German third league, like professionally team. Um, so the, like those, that's where the best players are. So, oh, I'm just getting texts, getting blown up. Popular, so I, we coach against this team, and first half we play super well, and we have the lead going into halftime. Um, but in the second half, their coach – I guess woke up because the first half he was just kind of chilling. He's a professional player here in Germany from America. And he like showed up to the game in sweats and uh, Nike flip flops. And, you know, looking like a, looking like a college basketball player. That's what he was. And he shows up and just kind of chills on the, you can tell he's only doing this because it's part of his job as, as a, a pro player for this club is to coach one of their lower division teams. And in the second half, he like, huddles him up and starts getting into it. And I'm like, oh, okay, so he's going to coach him up the second half. They put on a press, and that was it. That was <laughs> – that's all she wrote. Like, they they were a well-disciplined team. And let me tell you something else about this girls' team. People don't like watching girls' basketball for a lot of reasons. I've actually grown to enjoy girls' basketball because I'm not that good of a coach, and it's a slow enough game that I can actually keep up and make good coaching calls as opposed to the men's league game, which is a much faster game, and you've got to be pretty on your game to, to coach. This team made every single free throw they took. One, really? the, the team was 100% from the line for the game. That's, the team. That's impressive. They went 16 for 16 in the game. That's, I've never, I've never seen mean, that happen before in my life. That's big. I mean, that's because I mean, if you you miss three fourths of those, that's four less points. We lost by twelve points. They made then they went sixteen for sixteen from the line. Had they missed twelve free throws, which our team went about that percentage wise from the line, like a normal team, you don't expect your team. You expect your team to make about fifty percent from the line. That's decent as a team. You want each player to go seventy percent from the line. That'd be really nice. Yeah. This team made 100% of their free throws. And we had, like, we got to the bonus, and I was like, well, that stinks because now we're done. And we got to the bonus really early in the third quarter, and I was like, well, <laughs> we're done because they're going to make every single one of these stupid things they shoot. And they did. Well, it's, it's crazy how, how big of a difference free throws can make in a game. You know, like, and how hard they are and how people yeah. get on to NBA players all the time about Oh, DeAndre Jordan can't shoot free throws. How hard can it be to shoot free throws? It's really hard to shoot free throws because it's the only time that basketball, which is a team sport, becomes like tennis or golf. Hmm. It's the only time where you can get into your own head. You can't get into your own head very much in basketball because you're playing full speed and you've got to pass and shoot and run and jump, and it's everything's going a 1,000 miles an hour. The second you – isolate into just one guy against nobody doing something like golf. You talking golfers all have personal sports psychologists. Why do you think that is? Because 
when you're doing something by yourself, you can get into your own head and psych yourself out. And that's what happens in the free throw line all the time. All these guys like Shaq and DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond, good Lord, he cannot shoot free throws. <laughs> but all of them, you hear the same thing if you watch the games. The announcers are like, you know, the coaches are saying he makes 100% almost in practice. And then he gets in the game and he can't make his free throws. Yeah, that's it's, not, that's. it's not like they can't ever make free throws. It's the situation that. Yeah, it's because they're they're not used to sitting or being alone, basically with all eyes on them, you know. And now they're thinking too much. These are they're not thinkers. Like it's the bad. You can't if you think about it, you're not going to play basketball very well. You're thinking too much, and they start thinking too much, and they start missing free throws. So. That's why people miss free throws. So this team being able to make 100% of their free throws for a game, it's just insane. I don't know. If, like I don't know if that's normal for them. Like there's no way that their season yeah, average is 100%. Yeah, that's insane. But against us, man, 16 for 16. Yeah, pretty unbelievable. So that was what I did on Sunday. Which, so I, we drove as an hour and 15 minute drive down here, down there to get beat by 12 and then or 50, yeah and then come back yeah and then watch the cowboys lose so that was my sunday and and then you know the transition to something that's a lot more serious obviously sunday night was when the attacks happened in in paris and you know as someone who lives in europe now i I really felt this is the first time I've lived in Europe since I've moved here in January that I actually felt like, oh man, this could happen. Like, I have there's nothing stopping that kind of thing from happening here in Germany if it can happen in Paris. Because, and again, like you can't stop crazy people from doing crazy things. Like a suicide. If a guy's willing to strap bombs to his body, like what? Well, Going through a metal detector is not going to stop him from doing that. He'll just blow it up at the metal detector. Like, yeah. that's that's a tough one. And we had meetings here. And one of the things that, that you know, I don't want to get super into um, terrorism in Paris or worldwide or whatever. I do want to talk a little bit about how I think the biggest mistake people can make in light of terrorism is to stop being compassionate or open to those who are trying to flee these terrorists. Yeah. And well, did you do you hear that recently? And there's 20 states that have said that they're not going to um, accept Syrian refugees. Right. Because the president said the United States should accept Syrian refugees, which the United States should. Um, Lord knows the United States had a huge hand in causing the the problem that we have in the Middle East currently, we might as well accept some refugees, some of the residual effects of it. Um, but the the idea that, first of all, I don't think governors should even have the, have the right to do that. I think that that's not their call. But um, I think what's interesting, I heard a statistic at this refugee meeting that I went to on Monday, that there are currently like 65 million refugees in the world this year. Worldwide, yeah, that's a lot. And you know, only four percent of those are moving to Europe. Wow. So, I mean, 
while this is a huge refugee crisis moving into Europe right now, and maybe the United States, there are so many refugees already living in the United States. There are Burmese refugees all over Denver. There are refugees from the Second Congo War who are still living in America. Emmanuel Moutier, who was the point guard for the Denver Nuggets, came to America as a refugee fleeing from the war. That is a fact. So the idea that refugees are somehow a problem is idiotic and nonsensical. People who are fleeing their homeland because of a huge issue, mostly men, and I've seen people post on Facebook like, if it's poor people, where are the women and children? They left them in, yes, they did leave them in Syria. The idea of most refugees is to come to a country and then establish yourself in that country with a work visa or something, and then send back for your wife and kids and bring them over once you've got something safe for them to, to come to. A lot of refugees didn't want to drag their wives and kids through what they knew they were going to have to do to get safety. So, yeah, there there is a lot of there are a lot more men than there are anything else. Matter of fact, the refugee meeting that I went to, it's like seventy percent men at this thing, hmm. wow. and that's. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of young men, but the most the demographics are not poor people who are uneducated who are probably going to be terrorists. It's mostly doctors and lawyers and people who own businesses in Syria who now can't own those business businesses anymore because they've been blown up or it's unsafe to even do that. And so, and ISIS, like a lot of other evil organizations around the world. The first thing they target usually are the most educated people, hmm. and they know if they can get rid of them, they can have more control over the uneducated ones. Yeah. So the educated people are the ones who are fleeing, uh, for the most part. And so a lot of these refugees coming to Germany have a lot of things to offer, and so to turn them away and send them back, or to say we don't want you, like the, some of the governors in the United States are doing. Is the is this really silly and and short sighted, and would only lead to exacerbating the problem? Like you, people are fleeing is Islamists coming to America. You turn them away; they're not going to be pro America after that. You're just you would just be fueling the fire of hatred that already existed. They, they would just go back. It's just a, it's a terrible system to turn people away. Yeah, I mean, those people, like, they, they're in such a terrible situation in the first place. Like, obviously, I, I, I think what um, what I started to think about a lot is just, like, the amount of fear <clears throat> that situations like this really stir up, you know? Right. And that, I mean, ultimately, like, I, I have to believe that, that love is greater than that fear. Um, and that just because you turn some people, I mean, like you said, I, I, I feel like terrorists are going to figure out how to do what they want, you know, in some, somewhere or another. Obviously, you can't be stupid, but if they really want to go do something, they're going to go do it. Yeah. And I so, mean, America has so much homegrown terror and so much homegrown mass killings for America to say, you know, we don't want to do this because we want to protect ourselves. Is really ironic, almost like, well, and usually it's the same people who say things like, uh, "Guns don't kill people; crazy people kill people." So we shouldn't stop. Like it's the same group of people 
who then say, well, if we didn't have any Muslims in the country, we wouldn't have any. What? Like you're, you're, they speak out of both sides of their mouths, and it's just kind of, it's annoying. Yeah, it's just, honestly, it just makes me sad, you know, like, especially now, like, having traveled quite a bit, having friends that, um, I mean, having, like, Muslim friends in other countries, like, knowing knowing what they believe, and, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just, I don't know, just, it's, a, it's a really crappy situation, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then really, like, for me, I think that the challenge is learning how to, um, you know, like, engage in conversation and love those people in America that are, are acting from a place of fear and yeah. hatred, you know, because it's easy to, you know, just be frustrated and think, like, oh, you're an idiot, you know, but then all I'm doing is perpetuating hate. Yeah, you're right. And it's just reminding Christians. That's another thing, like reminding Christians what they signed up for. Hmm. Like if you follow Jesus, this is what you, this is what you signed up for. You signed up for open arms. You signed up for possibly getting beaten up or possibly getting, uh, you know, killed for this. Like you, you, this is what you signed up for when you chose to follow this guy. And and it's what Christians have signed up for since the beginning. Like we've we've always been a people who, or we should have always been a people who have stood for peace and love and forgiveness and acceptance and all those other things. And instead, too often in church history, we've been marked as intolerant or uh, exclusivist or oppressive or whatever. And that's just not what I see in the gospels as something that Jesus would ever, would ever promote. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said, love your enemy, right? Pray for those who persecute you. That's a, a little more than that's like, I mean, that's a call beyond even just helping people that need help. Yeah. I like the book of even people who want to go back to the old Testament and go, well, you know, eye for an eye or whatever. Well, the book of Amos is literally a prophet berating the children of Israel for not allowing immigrants and what amount of ancient Near Eastern refugees into their country and accepting them. That's the whole book of Amos. Hmm. And so this is a problem the people of God have had since the beginning of time is we want to put up walls around ourselves and say, we've got it together. Forget everybody else. They're dangerous. And that's just not what God's called us to do. God's called us to go into the danger. So that's a, I mean, that's just my take. I'm not super informed, obviously. I'm not like a, an expert on asylum seekers. I've been to a couple of meetings here in town because the school, they're putting a refugee camp down the street from the school um, that I work with and a lot of my students go to. And so there are a lot of parents who are obviously scared because there are kids who used to ride their bikes to school are not going to be riding their bike past a refugee camp. Um, and so there are parents who want to know more about that. And so we had a, they had a meeting and I went and we talked about what are things we can do for that refugee community? Because one of the main issues they're going to have is boredom because they're going to be not having a lot to do until they get their, their appointments and their meetings with the, uh, the bureaus and the bureaucrats here in town trying to get, refugee status and maybe even citizenship and work visas and those kinds of things. Yeah. There's just a lot of people that, that don't know. I mean, I didn't know, and I still don't know a whole lot, you know, 
but I decided to do a lot of reading this weekend to try to start to learn a little more. I think the New Yorker has done a pretty amazing job um, since the attacks since the attacks in Paris on covering that and covering the refugee uh, situation in Europe. The New Yorker has been pretty fantastic about it. I know some people don't read the New Yorker because they think it's too liberal or whatever, but I think the New Yorker has done phenomenal with their coverage. Hmm. We're not sponsored by the New Yorker. Speaking of things we're not sponsored by, have you tried Coca-Cola Life? No. Okay, so it's a green label. So it's the Coca-Cola with a green label. And it's sweetened with uh, stevia, whatever the one that's Especially natural. like the healthy natural one? Yeah, and it's really good. So that's my pitch for Coca-Cola Life. Okay, they want to start, start sponsoring the podcast, Coca-Cola Life. Get at us. I like Atlanta. It's a great town. Whatever. Coca-Cola Life. It's delicious. And huh. so we're going to transition from things we're not sponsored by and sad things like the Paris terrorist attacks and refugee crisis in Europe. Which, last thing I want to say about that, if you're a Christian and you know you're called to, even if you're one of the Christians who believes things like we're called to go around the world and tell everybody about Jesus, if that's you, which, awesome, because I believe that too, it's not often that the people you would normally be going around the world on mission trips to visit are coming to you. Move to your town. And when they move to your town, you shouldn't turn them away. If you would go over there to visit them and witness to them, why turn them away when they come to you? So that's that's my last thing about the refugees. This is the God giving us the world, the ch a chance to talk to the world about, about Jesus and share love. That's a good point. And, uh, and so now we're going to talk about Instagram. Instagram, double-tapping grams. Double-tapping grams. Cole and I spend a lot, a lot of time on Instagram, and we spend a lot of time liking. I'm, a, I'm kind of a compulsive Instagram liker. I, uh, if I see an Instagram that I think is, you know, cool or interesting, I will like it. And it doesn't even matter if, I, if that person follows me. Nice. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if I've liked 16 of their Instagrams. I'll still like it. I like that. If it's, hey, if it's a good picture, it's a good picture. So I've given you guys Vans of Berlin already, which terrific. It's a terrific Instagram account. Today, I'm going to give another one called Everyday Africa. So Everyday Africa. Let's see. Everyday Africa is a pretty amazing Instagram account that – it's photographers that are living in Africa, professional photographers who live and work there, who have seen, basically have seen that all the pictures on Instagram and in the media about Africa are all extremes. And they think that's painting a bad portrait of the continent. And I, and I would agree. I think too often with Africa, we get the single narrative problem where we only hear negative things about the continent of Africa. When in actuality, there's some amazing things happening in Africa, and Africa is doing much better than we thought it, than we think it is, or I mean, the media tells us it is. Economically growing at very yeah. fast rate. And everyday Africa is groups of photographers who just take pictures of the most like mundane things, like a couple sitting at the beach, or two people holding hands, or someone going to the store. 
people doing everyday things and they take these beautiful pictures of them doing it. And I think that's an awesome Instagram account to follow. That's awesome. Um, I've got a um, good friend who I met at camp at Kivu. Um, he has got a pretty, he's got a pretty sweet feed. Um, it's, it's a little more, um, I don't know the way to describe it. Like he's a little bit of like a hippie type type guy, but he takes some really cool pictures. His name is um, Henry, uh, but he goes, his Instagram name is Henny the Pooh. So H-E-N-N-Y the Pooh. Um, but I mean, I knew him when he had a thousand followers and now he has 9,000. So, Whoa. Um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. He takes, um, he's like a, he takes pictures for Fayette Chill, the brand in Fayetteville, Arkansas, if anyone yeah. is aware of that. So, um, he's got some pretty cool stuff. Um, he travels quite a bit all over. Um, he's lived a, a pretty interesting life. He's a pretty cool guy who, uh, who really loves Jesus. So nice. Henry That's the cool. Check it out. Exactly. And the last one I'm going to give is nice kicks at nice kicks n i c e k i c k s if you want to sponsor the podcast nice kicks you are my number one choice if you want to send me free sneakers i will take them i'm a size 11 and a half i will take as many sneakers as you will send me uh so nice kicks is my go-to when i want to see uh what the newest jordans or whatever are um i'm actually what's funny about me is i will i think i've bought Compared to maybe like a person who doesn't love sneakers, I probably buy a lot of sneakers. But compared to someone who loves sneakers, I really haven't bought that many. I think I've bought one pair of sneakers in the last year since January. Matter of fact, I know I have. I've bought one pair of sneakers since January. Oh, that's, I mean, comparatively, that's nothing. nothing. Right. But I've looked at sneakers <laughs> like once a week. I'll go into stores and look at sneakers. And then I look at sneakers on nice kicks and I want a ton of sneakers and, but I know that's stupid and I shouldn't own that many things. And it's kind of like the last, one of the last bastions of materialism clinging to my soul is <laughs> sneakers. Like I know it's dumb to want all these new shoes, especially like they're $200 and they were made by, some kid in Indonesia who got paid five cents a minute. Yeah. And then, yeah, but I still want, I still want sneakers. They got the colors that I like and whatever. So if you want to give us free sneakers, nice kicks, please size 11. And also a half. just, it's always a, so I, whenever I buy a new pair of shoes, I always buy a new, new, some new pairs of socks. And so you double those on a day and you know it's going to be a great day. Your feet feel incredible all day. So here's a weird thing right now that's happening in youth culture. For some reason, it got really cool to wear mid-calf socks, like mid-calf ankle or mid-calf Nike socks or stance or whatever. And they're crazy colors, or they just even just white, like mid calf. Remember, I was living in Denver at start at like high school kids were wearing white Nike socks that came up. We oh, call yeah. them crew socks. Oh, yeah. I was all about, I would wear black in colleges, wear black, like 
so big calf socks all the time. When I was in high school and even in college, like we wanted it to look like we were not wearing socks. That was what was cool. So we wore I wore ankle socks in basketball or like no show socks. And or no socks. I would wear no socks sometimes playing basketball in high school, which is really stupid. <laughs> but asking for blisters. Because that's what we thought was cool. Like where you're showing off your sneakers and you're not wearing any socks. And so now I go to basketball practice sometimes and I I wear I bought a pair of like no show stance basketball socks. And I'll wear those with my sneakers and my girls will be like, why aren't you wearing any socks, Drew? Your sock game is stupid. They call it like sock game. Like that's okay. a thing. And they spend like 30 bucks on a pair of socks, you know? Yeah. And it's all, none of it matches the uniform or whatever. They're just wearing these fancy socks. I'm just getting emails. Uh, so the interesting thing about that is like, I thought that I was do like, this is what I think is cool. But apparently, I'm so out of it. You're so uncool, Drew. Yeah, it's just I don't understand socks. Like, I don't get it. It's cool to me not wearing socks. That looks that looks cleaner to me than some cat with a bunch of different colors on his socks. I want to know the science of trends. You know, oh, like man, how that's does fascinating. how does that how does that like a like a complete cultural shift, even just like the way people wear socks. Yeah, so, like, so. there's some bit of herd mentality to it. And I think uh, in college I had a hypothesis that girls had a higher need for herd mentality or need for herd acceptance than guys. And, I like, I thought this is why you'll see six girls and they'll all be wearing basically the exact same outfit. And they'll be that strength. And, guys, you don't really see that. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, actually – it's about the same in guys and girls. Guys do the same thing. We just don't do it as often as the girls do. Like, we are less inclined to all be exactly the same. But really, like, you don't see guys who dress drastically different from one another being super close friends. Like, it just don't. Because we all have this need for herd identity. This is what my tribe wears. So, yeah, I agree. But, like, right now, it's super – I read about it. In the skim, there's a thing called lamp shading. Do you know what this is? Uh, I, I feel like I read it, but I, I don't remember what it is. Lamp shading is when a girl wears a giant T-shirt oh, yeah. and, like, Nike shorts, and so you can't see that she's wearing shorts because her shirt is so called that lamp shading. Yeah. What's and I don't know if actual girls call it that or if that's just something that was made up about it. But I think that's a hilarious name. But it's been happening for, for years now, several years. Yeah. Just the giant baggy sorority t-shirts and Nike shorts. And what's really interesting is how certain communities have, certain high school communities and even college communities, have weird styles that become, like, it, okay, for one, one thing that's very distinct, Highland Park High School in Dallas is this large high school at the middle of town that's mostly populated with upper-class white people. It's a very affluent area. Yeah. The, the girls at that high school are kind of, some people call them, like I, I have friends who think that the girls at that high school 
end up becoming the girls who start kind of the weird college girl trends. Cause a lot of them start at Highland Park High School, like lampshading. I remember girls doing that at Highland Park K-Life when I was helping out there in Dallas years ago. One of the things that girls there did too that was so bizarre, and I only saw girls at this high school doing it, but like every single girl did it. They would wear their crew cut Nike socks and like these flip flops or sandals, they're like sli it's slide sandals that you could get at Walgreens. They look like they're like plastic sandals that look like fake leather woven. And they're you could you bought them at Walgreens and they're probably six bucks and all these girls were wearing them. Like every single one. They're ugliest looking sandals. <laughs> and you know it's because like one cool girl did this and then everyone like copycatted her. But yeah, and I've never seen really seen any other group of people doing that. But it was such a niche thing, niche thing at that high school and such a omnipresent thing at that high school. So, yeah, so each little group, I would love to study that kind of stuff, like random trends that occur on or, random yeah, like, high school, college campuses. Like why, like why one thing would catch on and why one thing doesn't. And yeah. yes, it's just been interesting. So like that's the, there's a Malcolm Gladwell book. I think he talks about um, tipping point. He talks a lot about that kind of the science of of trends and how certain brands go from being no one wears them to they become hipster and then everyone's wearing them to then no one wears them and how there are these certain people who are really are like the fashion initiators like they start wearing these kinds of shoes and then everyone has to start wearing those shoes and they move on to something else and like you don't know when it started. Like, when did this start? When people start doing this, and now everyone's doing it. Like Nike, the Nike shorts, Nike Tempo shorts. Those shorts are not that much different than any other Nike shorts or Under Armour shorts or Adidas shorts. But those shorts, when I was, in, it started when I was in college, like probably two thousand and seven or two thousand six. I remember seeing a few girls wearing black Nike Tempo shorts to class, and then by the end of my senior year, it was every single girl that I saw on the way to class was wearing those shorts. And and now that's just a known thing. That's what girls wear. Like it's just, yeah. it went from no one had this to everyone wears these and no one can explain why we that change happened. But it became a huge trend. And so I don't or like, know like yoga pants. Thing. Yoga pants. It was, I remember when sweatpants were the trend, girls would wear like, just gray sweats, and then it was the sweatpants. They were a little bit for a uh, tighter fitting that had like a word on the butt. That some girls <laughs> juicy, were yeah, juicy pants, and they were like velour. Those yeah, kind of became yeah. really popular. Then those went out, and the next wave was Lululemon pants that were kind of like looser fitting at the at the gathering of the ankle. So they weren't tight. They weren't leggings. And then it went to leggings, and now leggings are everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's all over Europe too. Leggings are everywhere. What's next, Drew? What's I next? Man, I don't know. And it's like can't get any tighter. They can't get any tighter. So then, now skinny jeans over here are becoming phased out for girls, and they're moving into like a wider legged, even boot cut jean, even bell bottom jean. Some <laughs> there are some stores that are selling like almost. 60 style bell bottom jeans for women and it's 
I mean, Dusseldorf is kind of a fashion hub of Germany and like a lot of fashion centers and Tommy Hilfiger has a huge headquarters here and, and a bunch of other companies. And so a lot of things hit here pretty early on. And yeah, I'm telling you, man, the boot cut and even bell bottom jeans are that's coming. And then the other thing that's happening is jeans that are really like what we would call relaxed fit jeans, like girls wearing basically just baggy jeans again. Huh. So I mean, it's, it's just happening. Like it's just, whatever it's just something that's that's just constantly changing with trends and what's popular and what's not popular what one girl thinks is cool and then she's cool so everyone thinks that's cool yeah it's, i don't i know that i'm not the trendsetter so i don't know i've been wearing the same this i've had this hoodie since 2007 so i don't know i haven't <laughs> changed that much. to catch on still trying Why to get black hoodies <laughs> Get everyone to wear black hoodies, man. I didn't even buy this. I think Mark Montgomery gave me this hoodie. Shout out to Mark Montgomery for giving me clothes. <laughs> classic. That's a classic Mark move. So, so speaking of shout outs, I tweeted this yesterday. I said shout out to a little boy who was yelling, Mommy, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I said hashtag Monday motivation. But this kid was probably like five years old. And like five, could not have been any older than five. And he, it's like his mom and his sister, who's older, or no, his sister was younger, are rushing to catch this train. He is not. He's like probably five yards behind them, deliberately walking super slow because he's upset with his mom. And he's just yelling, Mommy, I'm so disappointed. I'm just so disappointed. And so the obvious is like that little kid has heard his mother say that like a million times. Already. Oh yeah. And so he's just appropriating that word for his own use. Because like yes. there's no way a little five year old is like, oh yeah, I'm just just I'm really disappointed. Just really. I had such high expectations for this, and they're not being met. I oh, should have really managed my expectations better for this situation. Well, that reminds me, there was, I was in a Whole Foods once, and this I see this kid like grab like a cookie off the shelf, and he takes a bite of it, and he turns to his mom and he's like, Mom, can I get this? <laughs> She's like, well, I guess you can now. Oh, my gosh. Shout out to moms. No, like, I remember as a kid, we got, I don't know if every grocery store did this, but in Longview, Texas, we got like one free cookie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's a thing. I wasn't. My mom wasn't just like stealing cookies and giving them to us. I said, "Okay, we'd walk in and like, okay, first things first. I'm getting my free cookie, and then we can go shop, mom. This is how this is gonna work." Exactly. <laughs> well, I would always, I'd always go get my free cookie with my mom, and then I could, I would convince myself that I was gonna like, I'll be like, "Mom, I'm gonna go grab the bread. I'll go grab some bread real quick for you." <laughs> Circle back. You'll get and another, another free yeah. cookie. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I also loved Pop Tarts, so that's so my thing. King Supers is listening in Denver. Exactly. Cole Crawford probably owes you a thousand dollars in cookies. <laughs> probably because I love those cookies. He's still getting. You're probably still getting free cookies when you go in there. Uh, do do I get? A, do adults get free cookies? I don't know. 
I think it says kit one free cookie for kids. I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't looked recently enough to to really know. And there's no sign for this. It's just kind of like everybody knows in every grocery store around I've, America. I've seen this sign in a couple grocery stores. Not not all of them, but that's interesting. I've, I don't think I've ever seen a sign that says, "Hey, by the way, if you're a little kid, you can get free cookies in our grocery well, store." No one ever said anything, so it just goes back to the fact that if you do something confidently enough, you're fine. I think confidence is a key to knowledge. You don't have to actually know anything. You just no, pretend to. Think you do. Yeah, if you just pretend to know stuff, people will think that you do. You don't have to know a, thing, a single thing. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. It's a motto for life. I think, I mean, I really do. I really think that my friend, you know, our friend Nate Friend and I have talked about this. If you have a clipboard and like a suit oh, whistle. You can do anything. If you have a clipboard and a suit on, you can get on to by backstage. You can get on the court of basketball. You can do whatever you want. Oh, like everyone's like, like an earpiece too. Like really step it up. You know? oh, if, you had an, if you had an earpiece or like a, a lanyard with like a USB drive on it, like that, <laughs> people are going to assume that you're like, okay, this guy's got, he's, yeah. he's in need. Someone needs him to be somewhere. Yeah. And just start walking confidently. We really need to start like testing that hypothesis. Right. 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 I mean, it's easy to dress like a coach. So like you could wear like a, a, the team approved Nike or Under Armour polo shirt, khakis and a pair of like sneakers. They have to be like white sneakers. They can't be like fancy sneakers. And then put a lanyard around your neck with a USB drive. Or a set of keys. That's super coach. Land your set of keys around your neck. Keys. Oh, and yeah. people assume you're an assistant coach or like the film editor or whatever for the team. And then you can, but like they won't know your face because if you were the head coach, you'd have a suit and tie on. So then you could kind of get, I bet, I bet you can get wherever you want. Yeah, me and, uh, me and a couple of friends had a competition to see who could get like lowest in a basketball game. We were literally as as high up as you could go, like top, <laughs> top bro. And so that is me hilarious. and another friend were like, hey, Mark and Preston, I bet, uh, I bet we can get lower on the court than you guys can. And so the first time we just walked straight past this dude, right? And then we went and sat, sat down. And then <laughs> two minutes later, my friend gets a tap on his shoulder. He's like, hey, can I see your tickets? And we're just like, ah. Uh-huh. And then we just, <laughs> we just walked away. It's like, like oh. okay, we clearly need – is this Another not strategy. section four one six? Oh wait, oh this is one four six. Oh, that's my bad. I'm dyslexic. I'm three floors off. Oh man, sorry. It's my yeah, fault. that's weird. I don't know how that happened. But then we developed a strategy where, like, I I went I bought popcorn and then I had my phone. I was like, oh yeah, like, I was like, and then he had like a um he also he got like a drink. And then his hand, other hand was preoccupied with something else. And we were like, as we were talking, I was like trying to like pass along this message that I was getting on the phone as we walked past this person. And then we sneak like in the middle of the section. Right. So, then, so, so like, obviously if you're on the edges, then they're going to like, they're going to come and get you. But we ended up getting like, we were like on the 10th row. It was pretty sweet. That's awesome. Um, so we won that competition, of course, suckers. When I was in college, my freshman and sophomore years, Auburn was terrible at basketball. We had like they had gone to the tournament in two thousand and three, 
with Marquise Daniels and lost to Carmelo Anthony and Syracuse. Then they got put on probation because that's the Auburn way. And they were suspended from postseason play for a couple of years and like lost a bunch of scholarships. So what happens is you become awful because you end up only having like six or seven scholarship players. And so Auburn was really, really, really bad my uh, sophomore year and freshman year. And I remember my freshman year, they were so bad that I'd go to games and there'd be literally 700 people at the game. Sometimes a little bit more because they were so, I mean, they were so good with Marquise Daniels. So there were some like residual fans who were like still coming to games because they had bought season tickets two years before and they just had kept them up, hoping that Auburn would maintain some sort of momentum. So after like one or two games, I realized nobody is sitting in these courtside seats because no one's coming to these games. And so by like game four, I was just walking down and sitting courtside before the game started. <laughs> like during warmups, I would buy a student ticket and then just go sit courtside. And that's awesome. I sat courtside probably nine, 10 times my freshman year. It's awesome. Decent teams, none of them being Auburn, just other teams that were good that Auburn <laughs> yeah, played yeah. against. Like the LSU team with uh, Glenn Davis and oh, big baby. Tyrus Thomas, those guys. I saw them play. I sat courtside for that. Um, yeah, so that was that's the. I didn't even sneak. I literally didn't have to pass anyone because no one was in that whole section. There wasn't even a, tick, a guy checking tickets. It was just. I was like, all right, I'm going to sit courtside. I just went down there and sat on the court. I could have. I could have probably shot baskets before the game during warmups. No one stopped me. It would, uh, they would have been appreciative. Give you guys, give their guys a little warm up. Yeah. They had an open tryout, Cole. They had so few players on scholarship. They were having like open tryouts before one of the years. It's just like, it's such a bummer going to, like having like really crappy programs. Yeah. You know, like obviously it's you can you can learn to take advantage of it, but you know, like for so long, like University of Colorado's football team has just been terrible. And so, like, just no one goes to the football games, or like, especially the second half, there's no one there anymore. Right. It's just like, just it, it, but it's like college games can be the best atmosphere to go watch a game at. It takes two years, I think, of either way. It takes two years of success to basically build a fan base that comes to every single game and sells it out and is loud, hmm. or two years of futility and you lose it. It takes two more years of success to build them back up, usually. So, like, Auburn basketball has been really bad since 2003. Really bad. They've gone to the NIT once since 2003, and that's the, that's the closest they've gotten to postseason play. Hmm. And it took – they've gone through three coaches since 2003, and – and the current coach that got Bruce Pearl showed up and everyone got really excited last year, like really excited. Cause this guy, great coach, been to the final four a bunch of times. He's a great recruiter, super energetic, magnanimous. Everyone loves him. He shows up and they sell out at a brand new arena and they sell it out. Well, the team is still crummy. Like <laughs> he didn't bring players with him when he showed up, he showed up as just the coach. So everyone had to like, manage your expectations because he shows up and they lose like a ton of games because he's playing the last guys guys 
Yeah. And it's difficult to recruit to an empty stadium. So the last two coaches bringing guys into this old crummy stadium with no one in it, trying to get them to come play Auburn, play for Auburn. And they're like, I'm not coming here. I'm going to go play for Kentucky or play Georgia or somewhere that actually has fans. So now we're selling out stadiums, the stadium, because the coach is exciting. Players are coming in. They had their best recruiting class in like 25 years for next year. And everyone's like, look how great Bruce Pearl's recruiting. But it's also because people are going to the games. And so recruits are coming in and being so excited. True. It's so like, an interesting cycle. Yeah, it's like, well, if it was still an empty stadium, because we didn't win that many games last year. It isn't like they're going, oh, man, Auburn's a program on the rise because look how many games they won. No, we're pretty bad. We're at the bottom of the league last year. But the coach is exciting, and so people believed and bought into it. And so one, one year of sellouts has built a, an amount of recruiting success, so maybe that will build a program in the future. I don't um, think – Also, yeah. That speaking of Auburn CU basketball, do you know they who played tonight? Play? Yeah, play tonight. Yeah, it's it's actually on early enough in the day in the U.S. that I'm going to get a chance to watch it most likely. Yeah, I'll be at I'll be at I'll be at my basketball practice until like twenty thirty. Oh, you'll be fine. It's it starts at three p.m. here. Yeah, it starts at twenty one hundred. Twenty one hundred my time. Twenty one hundred. Oh, that's sweet. So I'll be able. I I should be able to get home in time for at least the end of the first half and the second half. We beat UA Auburn beat UAB last uh, last week, so that's a big deal because they were a tournament team, and Auburn had a bunch of players get hurt or not get academically cleared by the NCAA. So, hmm. never ideal. <laughs> never ideal. Yeah, they got a guy who's his name is New Williams, N E W Williams, and he is a freshman, and he is six foot two, and can dunk like a madman so if he gets in the game and they let him dunk he did he would a, he did a between the legs like right hand to left hand he's he's right-handed and he went right hand to left hand between the legs and then tomahawked it with his left hand during uh the like mar midnight madness or whatever and the, i mean for a guy who was six foot and he that was off an alley-oop so he threw a pass to himself jumped in the air, caught with his right hand, and put it between his legs and dunked it with his left hand, which is insane to do. More insane when you're six foot two. So that's just a tremendous awesome. amount of athleticism. So he, uh, he's my favorite player on the team at the, at the moment. So keep an eye out for that. We'll talk more about CU Auburn basketball, hopefully next oh, week yeah. on the Kivu Podcast, episode five. We will see you then. If you have been listening, Cole, do you have any advice for them as the week goes along? Oh, man. Putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, not, not this week. Just keep, keep doing you. Keep doing you. Keep your head in the clouds and your feet in the sand. And you will be okay. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. See you next week, Cole. All right, Drew. Bye.